airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And, uh, boy, you got a um, hodgepodge of uh, stories that I wanted to take a look at and kind of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, just kind of jump our way around looking at those things. But before we do that, I know that we want to um, keep our, our listeners abreast of what's going on here at the American Family Association. And uh, in particular, that we are still looking forward to um, the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference at the end of June. Yeah. And I know that for so many of our listeners, because we have listeners all across the country, um, you know, your decision as to whether or not you will attend probably has a lot to do with what happens in your state. That's right. Which is why I would imagine, among other reasons, um, you keep a close eye on that. Um, I know, you know, we are praying, the body of Christ, uh, we are praying that those who oversee the affairs of our states will operate with wisdom. Amen. Um, not foolishness <laughs> Amen. or not in great folly, but that they would operate in wisdom because it's amazing when you take a step back and you think about the people that we elect um, to oversee the affairs of the states in which we live and mm-hmm. the local areas. Um, they have a huge responsibility. Yeah. And this moment in time, responsibility is, does it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a huge responsibility. And, you know, we need to be praying for, uh, like you said, for wisdom and for guidance for all our leaders. But we are uh, still pushing forward with the Marriage Family Life Conference. It will be happening June uh, 25th through 27th here in Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, you can go to marriagefamilylife.net to register, give information there. Um, and so we would love to, to have you. There's a, a, a children's track. We call it the, the Youth Apologetics Track for uh, uh, children ages 4 to 17. It's going to mm-hmm. be broken into two different groups. Uh, I believe we're going to do 4 to 12 mm-hmm. and then 13 to 17. Correct. And uh, it's just going to be an awesome time for the family. And it, the, we set it up that way. We want to have something for the children as well so that uh, parents didn't feel like they need to leave their kids behind, have a babysitter or whatever. We want to uh, impart into them as well. And mm-hmm. so that's the Marriage Family Life Conference happening mm-hmm. June uh, 25th through the 27th here in Tupelo, Mississippi. And uh, you can go to marriagefamilylife.net to get more information about uh, that conference. I want to start off our discussion. First of all, we've got several topics that we want to look at today. We want to um, ask the question, is the coronavirus racist? Huh? <laughs> well, wow. we have to. We have to. Because <laughs> essentially what this, where have you been? I, I know I know you're tongue in cheek with that I question. Mean, <laughs> that, that's a setup. Wow. I know what that is. That's a setup for me to run. Racist, you know? um, yeah, the virus. Mm. That's the question, though. Okay. We have to approach this objectively. Will the great okay. I mean, I just, you know, get back in the gate there? It's get, <laughs> no, don't get to the end. <laughs> well, guys, if Will the Great did Aaron the Addison's by himself, he would wrap it up in the first segment. Open and shut yeah, cases. You're right. It, it doesn't take a whole lot of unpacking for him. That's dumb. Next <laughs> next story. <laughs> right. Nope, not doing that. Next story. 
Right. Come get it if you want it. Next story. And yeah. that's how we'd move through, right? I yeah. mean, that's 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 why the kids don't ask you questions first. <laughs> I have to send them, go ask your father. Oh, he's just going to say, I know. Go, go, go. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a great balance that we provide. One I wouldn't trade, um, but it's just true. We have a different approach to things, right? Like you often yeah. say, why do they need to have all that information? Right. Yes or no? Yeah. Tell them yes or no. Yeah. So anyways, and when, when they, I'm talking about our kids, mm-hmm. not our listeners. Our listeners, we want our listeners to have information. So I'm joking That's about that. the you reason that just... you are primarily <laughs> giving information. <laughs> that's a kind way to say I talk a lot. That's fine. That's fine. I'll take it. Um, so that's the that's one of the questions that we're asking today. Um, is the, <laughs> It's so funny, right? But is the coronavirus racist? We already covered a story about this, um, I guess, a few weeks back when we first started talking about um, the new protected class that was forming in this country, that it was Asian Americans. And in particular, we saw that the church was now being tasked with protecting Asian Christians from prolonged systemic racism. Mm. All the verbiage is always the same. (laughs) It's always the same. So we continue on with the discussion um, that is not unrelated to that, but it's not the same thing. So we'll get to that. Just kind of giving you a a thumbnail sketch of where we hope to go in in one hour. A lot of real estate to cover, so we'll try to do it. Um, Then we're going to discuss protecting our children. What is the uh, United Kingdom doing, or what has the United Kingdom done recently to protect children um, in its school system? And I think it's one of those things where... When you look at what's happening in the world and then you say, whoa, things like that are happening right here, right, you know, at home in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. You ask what could be the driving force behind that? Why are there so many similarities? And I think for the Christian, we say, well, because it's demonically inspired. Yeah, right. So whenever you see these concerted attacks on (laughs) children and on families and on structures that God has, they're wicked. (laughs) And we'll be back tomorrow, folks. Right. (laughs) That's it for today. That's a wrap. Thank you guys for listening. All right. Play the music. So, yeah, but you're right. Exactly. Because they're wicked. And um, and then also a dear story that came from um, Dr. Jim Dennison uh, today in the Dennison report that I found really interesting. The history behind um, the making of one of the most popular games in uh, American history, and uh, that, that game is one oh. of the most popular. Okay, I don't know if I, you know. I don't know if Monopoly is the most popular. Eh, but probably not. But you know, I just it's up there though, right? I would it's think one, so. That's one of those classic, up there, like with Uno and. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I think that there are a lot of. I think there are a lot of families that have a Monopoly game mm-hmm. just because you feel like you're supposed to. You're supposed to. to have one. They got all these different versions of Monopoly now, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you might not even play it that much because it, it's an investment. It's and, an investment. You know, you're going to be there for some hours <laughs> playing. Raise but, your hand if you've ever quit Monopoly. Oh my my goodness. hand is up. I'm like, you, you know what? You I'm have done. to have one. You have to have you one. You have to have one. You have to have one. So, so that's not it? Um, okay. No, the game is Candyland. Oh, okay. Candyland, right. and uh, yeah. we'll talk about yeah. the history of that if we if we can get to it. Just a a story that I thought was just a little bit refreshing. Um, but before we do that, I've been thinking about something that I said um, in a message exchange with you and Abraham mm-hmm. as we were talking about what's going on with um, the attempts to roll back homeschooling and how this all poses a threat, and you know, just talking about these things. And and I said something in passing, but I kind of keep coming back to that in my thinking because we have done historically on this show, some illustrations where we talk about how the church sees herself and -hmm. how the church so devalues herself that the church is always looking at the world. And when I say the church, I mean the body of Christ Mm -hmm. is often looking at the world and seeing something that is better there. Mm. Right. And so then we seek to emulate that. 
or right. we desire that rather than what the Lord has done in carving us out and making us different and distinct. And, and I was thinking about how there was a time when the body of Christ could be mobilized to fight, mm -hmm. could be mobilized to understand what was at stake because there was a greater focus and a greater, um, I guess, connectedness among the members of the body of Christ, right? That we all had one goal, one objective. We understood what was at stake. We recognized that our battles were not against flesh and blood, right? So even if it didn't, like if there was something wicked happening in the mm -hmm. culture mm -hmm. and it didn't affect me, maybe the way it affected you, Will, mm -hmm. I would still be motivated or mobilized to fight on your behalf because I could see how it adversely affected you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So like imagine that I'm further along in the rearing of children or imagine that my children have all left the nest, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I would still care about what's going on in the area of children's edu education because you're my brother in Christ and you're still raising your kids. Right. Your kids are still being educated, you know, that kind of a thing. But I think there's something that has, and I don't mean to be insensitive with the use of this word, but I think there's something that has infected the body of Christ and it has affected our ability to operate as a unit, the members of the body of Christ. And I think it's something that I'm, I'm going to call perspectivism, okay. where we are often in the body of Christ able to understand the quote unquote other perspective. Okay. Right. And in place of the word other, mm -hmm. <laughs> just put world. Okay. Mm. We're often able to understand the world's perspective. Now, I want to give you an example of what this has given way to in the history of the church and maybe like a modern example. Um, when the church heard often that she was irrelevant or that she wasn't able to reach the world because the world couldn't relate to her, the church said, man, I really get that perspective. I see what they're saying. So we need to have more pizza parties mm. and we need to have our, you know, ministers be more relevant. Mm -hmm. So we need to look more like the world. Now, this is not a legalistic discussion by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not saying, you know, what a pastor should look like. I'm, I'm not saying that. But understand that perspectivism is what leads often to the shifts that we see in the church. Mm -hmm. We hear something about us. And instead of weighing the accusation against what's in the scriptures, what do we do? We make changes. Yeah. We're like, oh, man, I see what they're saying. Oh, yeah. You know what? We are too judgmental. Yeah, I see. I get their perspective. I see and, where they're coming and from. And it on becomes that. a acceptance of exactly the world's view, like acceptance, like whereas it may have started as being okay. Maybe we could do a better job at this. Maybe there's a way that we can. It seems like it. It, it don't. It does not stay there. It like quickly right. goes into like being like the world. Well, and and exactly. I think ultimately the point that I want to make, mm -hmm. I think that perspectivism weakens the church. Mm. It doesn't serve the church well. Mm -hmm. If you look at the church growth models that, again, I would say were the result of perspectivism, that the church is like a business, right? If you're going to have a successful church, you need to treat this, like, treat this like you would a business. What's your five-year, 10-year plan mm -hmm. for the growth and the expansion of the church? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. it wasn't about conversion, I mean, because if you look back on that, those church growth models have largely, if not in total, been a failure. Mm. You've grown the church, but you've not grown the church. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Not in the right. Way, not in the you know the best way. Like you know you've grown in attendance. That's right. Yeah. Because numerical depth, growth mm-hmm. is not synonymous to spiritual growth. Exactly. It's not. It does not automatically equate to a conversion. Right. right? Where a person is regenerated. Okay. Right. And so the concern that I have as we look at the world continue continuing to press in on the church mm-hmm. is the fact that perspectivism is not something that's even jolting to us. You know, when mm. I, when I was, when I was growing up and again, I, I know this just is a mark of getting old. This is what you say all the time. I find that we say this a lot to our children. Mm-hmm. They probably are tired of it, you know, but when I was growing up, I heard things from my mom that reminded me that as a believer and as a follower of Christ, I was distinct in the world. Mm-hmm. So why are you endeavoring to act like that? Miki? Mm. Why, why do you desire that Miki? What, what is it about that that is appealing to you? Why are you talking like that? Mm-hmm. Why are you acting like that? And so in my mind, as I was growing up, the, that became less and less desirable because the, that seemed to mark something that was not supposed to be mine or something that I desired in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we don't talk about the, that anymore. It's all just mixed together. Hmm. And one of the problems I think we have and we talk about this consistently, is that we have adopted this notion that whatever is happening in the culture, a problem, let's say, in the culture, is automatically a problem in the church. And if there is a problem in the culture, and then the culture seems to undertake solutions or remedies for those problems, then the church needs to also adopt the world's solutions and remedies Hmm. and implement them. And why do we do that? Because perspectivism. Because we can see what they're saying. Right. Because we can see that there is a problem here. Oh, and look, they just happen to have a solution. I'm encouraged by what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, that when he talked about keeping unity, and this is a word that often gets thrown out. When he talks about keeping unity, this is not some arbitrary, just, you know, throwing out the word unity, being united with everyone on every cause for every reason. Mm -hmm. No, What the Apostle Paul said was that we needed to bear with one another. This is Ephesians chapter 4. He said we needed to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He goes on to talk about there being one body and one spirit. And so the unity and if there's going to be any perspectives that we have, Mm -hmm. it should be from the, the vantage point of what is the spirit of God saying Amen. that we see. Okay, we've got to grab the break. Aaron the Addisons, we'll be right back. My name is Miki, and I approve of this collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> who's that, Will? Oh, I approve. Chris Tomlin. Well, who's that? Well, I mean, yeah, but that's not. <laughs> I see what you're doing. That's not Chris Tomlin rapping. Man, that's, uh, he's, that's amazing what he can do with his voice there. Um, <laughs> that's that's uh, great, Chris. Greater city as a thizzle. And oh, yes. Chris Tomlin. Okay, great. They're kind of the same, but not. They just are a little <laughs> right. bit different. You know, the Lord's brought them through different ways. 
um, but to the same cross. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Thizzle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just fun for me. You guys, you get me, right? Chris and Thizzle. One night only hey. at the Christian Dome. There we go. Um, anyways, um, <laughs> that's what I would do if I could collaborate. I would take two different worlds. Yeah, but why one, not? But one world, mm-hmm. right? And I would say Point here, instead God. of some of these other collaborations oh. that we see coming from Christians. I won't get into that because that's not the topic. Right, that's not the topic for today. Um, no, the, the topic for today is the danger of perspectivism among Christians. And, and basically, in a nutshell, why we are not as effective as we could be um, if we would understand that we're distinct, that we're peculiar. And that living this way provokes the question why, and that gets us to the gospel. So if you want a church growth model, be different. Mm. (laughs) that's going to provoke the question why Mm. then you'll have the opportunity to present the gospel and then people will give their hearts and their lives to jesus christ right i mean it's the power of god unto salvation the gospel is it's not these methods and not not these systems but there's something even more sinister about perspectivism and that it it weakens the church's resolve to even take a stand in culture right to influence the culture so like i'll give you an example and because i don't want this to sound self-serving at all But I understand that it might, and I'm okay with that, but I'll give you an example to show that I'm consistent in the things that I'm trying to stand up against, even when they don't directly affect me. So a few months ago, we did like two or three shows on looking at the Austin Independent School District and this uh, comprehensive sex ed curriculum Mm -hmm. that they were trying to roll out to parents. Right. Now you might say, well, Miki, you homeschool. Why do you care? Well, because I have brothers and sisters who have kids in those schools. Mm Mm-hmm. So I care. (laughs) Okay. All across the country, we've got brothers and sisters who have kids in schools where Satan wants them to be his pupils. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like that. So, so when we talk about these things, it is not only those things that serve our own interest in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's also the interest of others in the body of Christ. Uh And so when we're talking about how do we care for and love one another, it's not just, well, I mean, I don't homeschool, you know, we've been talking about that. And so there's people who'd say, well, I, I don't have to worry about that. I don't homeschool. See, that kind of <laughs> is a result of perspectivism run amok. Hmm. Maybe the kids need to be out there. Maybe those people are right. Now, imagine if the homeschooling parents take the perspective that, well, maybe those people are right. Maybe your kids are in that situation. So they need to be exposed to the fact that there's a spectrum of, you know, human sexuality. <laughs> Man. then no one is served best, right? And and we, we're not protecting and loving one another when we and do we're that. Not being, and we're not being the church, you no. know? We're not being the no. body of Christ. If we have an attitude of, well, that's them, this is us, if we're talking about, you know, the body of Christ and, and families and children, because no, no matter how you slice it, okay, you say that's them, but you're probably fellowshipping with them and their right. children ch- right. their children and their families you know so it does matter like we should we should care for one another it, that's right that's absolutely right so here is what's going on and then we'll double back to talking about the racist coronavirus um but here's what has just happened um in the United Kingdom the the United Kingdom's uh council for i guess how they decide what the school curriculum will be and all of mm-hmm. that you know Um, And it's a little bit different, but kind of similar to how we do things. You know, parents can have some say for Mm -hmm. now uh, as to what their kids are learning as it pertains to their (laughs) sexual indoctrination is what what I would call it. Um, 
but I want to I want to use I want to look at what's happened in the United Kingdom. And then I want to kind of double back again to this country. And I want to talk about why it matters that parents keep their finger on the pulse of what's happening in culture and Mm -hmm. that we do not allow ourselves to be victims of perspectivism. Oh, I can see what they're getting at. Mm -hmm. I can see that kids need to be able to make their own choices. They need to be presented with a lot of different options. And then we will tell them what is right, but they need to at least have a lot of different options. These are some of the ridiculous things that parents who are long held victims of perspectivism will say, Mm. you know, they can always see the other person's perspective. Here's a story. Uh, And I have to give a disclaimer. And I really hate this because I'm talking about how kids would be educated. Now just think about that for a second, brothers and sisters. So I want to talk about this story, but I have to tell you that before I talk about this story, um, some of the information in the story is incredibly offensive In fact, it's hard for me to mention, but also keep in mind that this is the curriculum that was on tap to be taught to school age kids. But I have to tell you that be cautioned right now. I have to tell you to move kids away from the radio if you're listening with a younger audience. I have to tell you that. And in fact, I will go so far as to say, I don't care what the age of your audience is. I cringe reading it myself. Yeah. Doesn't really matter the age. It's just the content. But here we go. A controversial sex ed curriculum that included, and again, disclaimer in place. (laughs) And I, I do not intend to shock you, but I want you to understand that this, this is the story. Okay. This is the story. A controversial sex ed curriculum that included lessons on masturbation, pornography, and gender spectrum was dropped by a county council in England after parents and Christian activists protested. Hmm. So parents had to show up. (laughs) Christian activists had to get involved so that kids would not be subjected to a sex ed curriculum that featured the kind of content that I just mentioned. Parents in Birmingham said the curriculum called the All About Me curriculum was too sexually explicit and inappropriate for children. The content, as I mentioned earlier, encouraged masturbation and unhealthy view of porn and experimental transgender ideas in school. In fact, this sex ed curriculum even went so far as to teach children that there was no such thing as pornography addiction. Hmm. Wow. Now, isn't that interesting? It, it, it's wow. almost as if those who have created this curriculum anticipate the objections, mm-hmm. right? So that may, maybe, I don't know, parents would say, hey, this is not healthy. Right. This is not God's design for the human body. This is not what is meant for entertainment. There are adverse effects of viewing this. It causes addiction. It causes physical documented changes in the human brain. Right. But it almost seems that this sex ed curriculum anticipates that as an objection. And before. So the curriculum preemptively says, and don't worry, by the way, there's no such thing as pornographic addiction or pornography addiction. The devil's a lie. Think about that. (laughs) I just want you to think about and and look, and if you go back, if you if you do a Google search, you try to get the the old archives of the show that we did looking at Austin's independent school district, what you will see is that there obviously is some sort of demonic attempt 
that is made or attempt to grab our kids. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to be sensational, but there really is just no other way to say that. I mean, that's that's what we're looking at. It is how do we derail the best attempts that parents make at rearing their kids with any type of modicum of morality? I mean, just even the smallest amount. How do we confuse them about human sexuality and sexual identity? <laughs> well, we've got to do that in school where we have the greatest access to them. And we've got to start at younger and younger ages. Before the Christian Institute intervened on behalf of parents and threatened to take legal action, the Warwickshire County Council backed the program and said it would help children cultivate, quote, healthy relationships and enable them to build positive and safe relationships as they grow and develop into adults. <laughs> wow. Um, but here is the good news, okay? And, mm-hmm. and by the way, and by the way, this is one of those things that very similar to what we talked about for like two or three days with Austin Independent School District. Um, this is one of those things where had not the parents undertaken to delve into the curriculum for their for themselves it went they would not have known yeah they would not have known one of the parents quoted in this particular story <laughs> goes on to, to talk about she said she said at first i thought it looked fine one parent quoted in the story says mm-hmm. at first i thought it looked fine then i started to read it and mm. some of it some of it was really quite disturbing mm. i thought is this what the council is telling my kids that porn is fine and there's no such thing as porn addiction? Man. Now Man. I guarantee you that's not on page one of the curriculum. Right. That's in there. And, but <laughs> that's the thing because they're, they're counting on parents not being vigilant and looking through this stuff to, to see what's really going on. They count, they're counting on that. And to your that's point exactly right. about having your finger on the pulse, it's like now more than ever, we as parents have to have our finger on the pulse and know what's going on because the wicked are trying to slip these things through all the time. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Now, and let's let's bring it closer to home, because mm-hmm. while everybody all across the country was beginning to pay greater and greater attention to uh, COVID-19 and growing cases and all of this, there was something else that was happening in Washington. Right. Not only the concern of like the first case, you know, mm-hmm. in January, but, you know, and not watching the cases increase in Washington. But there was something else going on in Washington. Um, back in March, parents mounted up to stop uh, the implementation of a what we call comprehensive sex ed curriculum um, at one of their local local school districts. And it failed. OK, so this mm. out of the UK, the parents were victorious. Washington State, they failed. So lawmakers, state lawmakers, um, at least back in March, now they're collecting signatures, right, to uh, amend um, this sex ed curriculum or to change it, which when they first tried, all of the suggested changes, which I think if I was reading correctly, there's like 200 uh, wow. amendments that were suggested <laughs> by conservatives. Wow. 200 amendments suggested by conservatives for a sex ed curriculum for children. I mean, I think once you get to like 150, like, let's just say throw it out. Let's right. say it's trash. If it's you got to make that, let's garbage. say we start again. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. at, at that point, I There's think you got more poison there. than water. Come on. What are, what, are you, <laughs> what are you doing there? You know what I'm saying? So anyway, Washington state lawmakers have approved a comprehensive sex education curriculum 
in, in legislation for public school students. And some parents say that it's tantamount to grooming. Mm. This happened back in March. Most of us were unaware of this. And that also is <laughs> a strategy. Look over there. Look over there. Look, yes. look over there. We're not doing no, anything over here. Look over there. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. You don't need to pay attention to what's happening here. And look, and by the way, we want more and more time. We want more and more access to your children. Mm. And, uh, and again, we want to determine what each kid has to know Man. by the time we're done with them. And, and, and you just see the enemy's fingerprint on this at a more opportune time. You're going to come back with the foolishness when no one's really looking. So so look <laughs> at this. Um, Washington State, much like the Austin Independent School District, mm-hmm. um, much like what's happening in Virginia mm-hmm. uh, and other places across this country. When you look at what the comprehensive sex ed curriculum is, it it is grooming. It is training kids it is sexualizing kids at younger and younger ages. And I know for most parents, you hear that and it's like, you know, that's really sensational. But I got to tell you, there has been a moment in time and which, by the way, you know, and I'm, I'm still kind of um, I'm, I'm combing through this. And, and I mentioned this to Will the Great um, today because I'm I'm looking at the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission's. Um, outlines for how the country is to open up again. And it's pretty lengthy. And I, I've been reading through it slowly and carefully because there's a lot of information in it. And maybe I, I think we'll talk about this tomorrow. There's some, there are some things that I like and there's some things that I don't like just because I think that it's related to the conversation today. One of the things that I like is that this, this commission is proposing that parents be able to have access to these uh, 529 saving accounts, saving accounts for um savings accounts for kids that they educate privately. But there was also the proposal that that would be opened up for homeschooling parents, that those, those dollars that are supposed to follow kids in the public school system, Mm -hmm. that those dollars are actually your dollars. Many Mm -hmm. of us, you know, Mm -hmm. don't know that, but yeah, our dollars are, (laughs) our dollars are attached to where our kids go to school. You know, you pay your taxes. So your dollars go there. Um, But now the suggestion is, hey, maybe, you know, although we have resisted this in the past, I I would say that um, Ted Cruz has been the biggest fighter for this, Mm -hmm. that parents would have access to um, savings account for the kids education, even if they're homeschooling, not just private schooling. Right. right? Even if they're homeschooling. But now um, this coronavirus recovery task force is saying maybe we need to expand this funding for parents who are homeschooling. And one of the points that they're making is that, hey, these parents have all, they're homeschooling. Even parents that are usually have their kids in a traditional school setting, they're homeschooling. What can we do to help them do this more effectively to remove a lot of the red tape, to remove a lot of the obstacles? And I got to tell you, what one of the things that I think will become a domino effect is that as parents' eyes increasingly open to the wickedness that is around us, and what the attempts and what the grabs are that are being made for the, I would say the future of our kids. And, and I'd go a step further. And again, not trying to over sensationalize this, but the grabs that are being made for the eternities of our kids. Mm. I think that more and more parents are going to take it as their own personal responsibility to train and to educate their kids. Yeah. All right. We got to grab the break. We'll pick up here and then move on quickly after that. Aaron the Addison's AFR. Stay close. 
God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. God only knows how it's killing you. But there's a kind of love that God only knows. God only knows what you've been through. in Washington are still fighting for, you know, how their kids will be educated, what their kids will be exposed to, um, of course, when they all do return to school. Um, it's also important to note that uh, this curriculum that parents were fighting back in March um, and still are fighting, still are fighting, um, is influenced by Planned Parenthood. Man, that you know, you when 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 you, <laughs> I mean, truly, <laughs> influenced by Planned Parenthood, mm -hmm. and and you think about this, and and you think about the type of information that it would behoove Planned Parenthood to have, um, in a curriculum that would suit their interests, mm. right? I mean, wouldn't it be devious and reckless sexual yep. behavior? Wouldn't it be the type of behavior where I mean, they have a vested interest in having kids have sexually transmitted infections to where they need to come to their clinics, right? They have a vested interest in mm -hmm. having kids who have unplanned pregnancies so that they can come and help them make better plans, yep. right? I mean, they they do. They have this. And, and the parents in Washington State know this. They know that Planned Parenthood is behind the design and the structure of this comprehensive sex ed education, Man. right? Or sex, sex, sexual education. Comprehensive sexual education is what is the code word, all-encompassing word for expanding kids' exposure to sexual deviancy and sexual confusion. And that's, that's how I would put that in a nutshell. But Planned Parenthood directly benefits from the types of testing and mm -hmm. the types of, um, and I don't, you know, not to be coy, procedures Mm -hmm. that they would offer to kids who would find themselves in situ situations based on what they have been taught. Yeah. Can I put it that way? Can I say it that way? <laughs> yep. Here's something else that um, I don't know if many people are aware of this, but Planned Parenthood is recently offering hormone therapy for transgender patients. Wow. So is it in their best interest to have sex ed curricula that teaches that you can change your gender? And does it is it in their best interest to have this at younger and younger ages where kids are feeling like, you know, oh, I don't know, confused about life. Right. Confused about their developing and changing bodies. Mm -hmm. And and then also feeling like, you know, maybe I need to look into some of these hormone replacements. And is it also in the interest, the best interest of Planned Parenthood to remove the information or to remove consent, the, the necessity for consent from parents so that kids can have these things done and not have to tell their parents that all they need to do is go to a school counselor. <laughs> is that not also in the interest, the best interest of Planned Parenthood? What I'm saying is this, there is a sinister and wicked all out attack on the future, not of just this country, but there's something bigger and more eternal at stake here. And it's the church. Mm. Why, why is it that we don't, we don't, you know, why is it that there is a fight? You got to go. There's a there's a big battle to say, hey, parents need to have access to the taxes that they pay to educate their children at home. You know, why do people like Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer? Why do they say, <clears throat> no, these these dollars can follow kids if they're in private schools. OK, we'll give you that. We don't really want to give you that. <laughs> we'll give you that. But absolutely not to homeschoolers. Absolutely not. What makes educating kids at home such a threat to the system? 
It's a lack of indoctrination. I mean, that they come need. on. <laughs> I mean, these yeah. are these are the kinds of questions that we have to ask. I'll say one other thing about what what is going on in in Washington, and just kind of pairing this up with what happened in the UK. Victory in the UK, ongoing battle in Washington. I'd say ongoing battle across this country, right? As yeah. states have to decide whether or not they're going to be bought out by these special interest groups who have deep pockets and have sinister intent toward children, right? The ongoing battle. But when the parents, there was one parent in particular in uh, Washington, I want to say in Tacoma, and they presented this curriculum to local police officers. Hmm. Those local police officers went on record. In fact, they they went on local radio stations after they viewed the curriculum. And this is what those police officers said. Those police officers said that this is exactly the type of information that they deal with when they encounter those who are victims of human trafficking. Wow. Having been groomed to believe certain things about themselves. They said those police officers said. That the material, quote, mirrors how traffickers groom their child victims to enter the sex trade. Mm. Now, we already know that Planned Parenthood has a vested interest in looking away from sex trafficking, right? Because, you know, it keeps them in business. Right. And you can see how all of this is like woven together. It's all tied together. That's right. Again, we can pretend that we can't make these connections on our own. And we can tend that that's, we can pretend that that's, that's all just too grand a leap. That's just too, that's just too quantum a leap. We can't, we can't get there with you, Mika. Okay. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> that's fine. But here's the, here's the, it's not because the information isn't there. It's because we reject it. Mm. It's because we refuse to see it. And it doesn't have to be that way. All right. I'm going to open the phone lines. I know that we're not going to be able to talk today about whether or not the coronavirus is racist. Uh, Will, you want to just get the answer? I know how you are. (laughs) I got your answer. Mika, I already told you. Um, Maybe we can get to it tomorrow because I do want to spend some time because there's there's something that I think is a little bit ironic coming from this one particular pastor who is saying that coronavirus is racist. And um, and, and I just have to show his hypocrisy. And I'm not going to be able to do that in two minutes. Um, I need at least 15, 15 and some change. <laughs> um, so, so in order to paint a real clear picture of his hypocrisy and the fact that he needs to be openly mocked, he does. And people say, well, Mickey, that's a pastor. Yeah. Um, well, you can go ahead uh, and present uh, it. Uh, no, if you uh, want to. Uh, can, okay. Well, let's, since Will said, all right, since, um, since Will said, uh, Jamal Bryant mm-hmm. is a pastor who, when you look at his track record and, and people, I'm sure I'll get emails. People will disagree with me on this. Um, you look at the marks of his life. He is unqualified to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. You look at the biblical qualifications for a pastor. He's unqualified. And I'll stick to what the Bible says, not my own personal opinion, because my own personal opinion doesn't matter. But Jamal Bryant, <clears throat> excuse me, is saying that Georgia's move to reopen its economy is an assault on minorities. And it's contrary to God's will. Now, mm. what I want to deal with is not the varying opinions on whether or not the economies of different states should be open. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I do think there is dialogue to be had around that. And I think that's legitimate. The problem that I have with this is that Jamal Bryant, pastor of like a 10,000 plus member church. Okay. um, Is saying that it's racist basically to open up Georgia. (laughs) 
Foolishness. So it's an attack on minority communities. And this is what he said um, specifically. I'm going to quote him here. Governor Kemp, if you have a decibel, and I'm just going to quote it as it was said in the video that he posted online. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. (laughs) Okay. So here we go. Governor Kemp. If you have a decibel of moral integrity before Friday comes, I'm pleading on your conscience, even when the evangelicals remain silent in this hour. Now, (laughs) you already get racial underpinnings here, okay? Because what's evangelicals code for? Yeah, it's like white Christian. (laughs) White Christian men. (laughs) All right. Anyway, we've already done a show uh, on you might be an evangelical if. Yes, might do that one again. Here we go. We probably should do it again. Uh, so even when the evangelicals remain silent in this hour, I stand and cry, cry loud and spare not. Ugh. Man, come on, <laughs> that, man. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And spare not that what it is you are calling for is contrary to the will of God who declared openly. I came that you might have life and have it more oh, abundantly. Why they twist scripture? Hey, hey, hey. Man, wow. Um, he went on. I'm calling on Governor Kemp to immediately reverse and retract his order that is supposed to start on Friday. Stay in what your is house. it that he is doing? He's launching in no uncertain terms an assault on the minority community in Georgia. Mm. Now, here is something else that he said, and I, I, I cannot leave this out because it, there is such a disconnect in this statement and what is actually actually an assault on the minority community. And exactly. you would think that when he would say what, what and you already know where I'm going. Yes. But you would think that when he would say this, he would go, ooh, I probably shouldn't use that as an example because <laughs> that's going to compel me nah. to be a pro-life activist. But, but this he, is nah. what he says. Go ahead. He says, I'm afraid and I'm frightened that this is going to set an immoral precedent for other wayward governors across the South who believe that if he can do it, then it is, in fact, a new standard for death to happen to the black community. I stand with countless numbers of other clergy who have resolved within our heart, our spirit and our mind and other ethical compass, <laughs> whatever ethical compass, yeah. okay, that we cannot resume church as normal because nothing is normal. Now, here's my question. If you see opening up a state as a personal and direct attack on minority communities, right? And that there's some sort of precedent that would be set my question is, why remain silent on pro-life issues? <laughs> ding, ding, I mean, ding, is that not a direct attack yeah. on minority communities? Yes. I mean, the can biggest. We, can we, <laughs> I mean, one of the I biggest. Just, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we, you know. Anyway, he goes on to declare that new birth will not be holding church. Now, okay. and, and he's talking about how this is. Okay, right. Um, respectfully. Um, let me say this. Before uh, Georgia went and this this is the hypocrisy and this is the irony in how a person can seem very like, you know, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm trying to do what's best for the quote unquote community. Right. This is mm-hmm. nothing to do with the body of Christ. This is a narrow minded focus that really is a liberal talking point. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's a, it's a liberal talking point. It is. OK, I've put my finger up to the wind. I know what direction we're blowing in. All of the liberals are calling for the shutdowns to remain in place. <laughs> no conversation, no discussion about what's happening in our area. This is the liberal call. Yep. And so all of us will heed it and then we'll repeat it. Right. But let me also say this. Just before Governor Kemp closed down Georgia, if you want to say it that way, to say it simply. Um, 
Jamal Bryant and New Missionary Baptist Church in Georgia was planning to sell coronavirus tests for $150 each. Come on, man. I mean, come on, man. Come on, man. Come on. Like, really? Now, remember, Mm, now, remember, opening up Georgia is an attack on minority communities. It's taking advantage of those who are weak among us. It's racist to open up Georgia. But, but also know that I'm about to make $150 a pop off a test that's supposed to be free. Mm, man. And, and, and who's wow. paying that? Wow. Jamal, who's, who's paying that? See? The black people that are going to die if the state's not open or if the state reopens. But out of your bowels of compassion, when people who don't know the Lord are testing people for free, you're, you're going to make them a deal that they can't pass up. Mm. $150 for each of your tests. You can get your results back in 24 hours. That was the stated plan. Why didn't it go forward? Not because he realized that it didn't go forward because the governor said, hey, everybody needs to shelter in place. <laughs> So we can't pack out our parking lot mm-hmm. testing people 150 bucks a head for coronavirus test. And you say, look at the minority communities don't have access to tests. That's, that's another one of the talking points. This is a racist virus. The minority communities don't have access to tests. But you've got a church. I mean, look, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> so to speak. Um, <laughs> You got a church that brings in millions of dollars every year and you're going to charge those who are weakest among you and most vulnerable because this virus has set its sights on black people. It's a racist virus. But we have a solution for you and it'll only set you back one hundred and fifty dollars. And then here was the other thing. Here was a story. This this came out. And in fact, the only reason we didn't talk about it, and we, we of course, we read it. <laughs> we didn't talk about it was because it didn't come to fruition. This was the plan. Right. This is what they were planning to do. And here's what here's what the instructions were as they were gearing up to do this before the shelter in place mandate. The instructions were check with your insurance providers before you show up for this one hundred fifty dollar coronavirus test. So sort of a, you know, insurance, mm-hmm. little scammy scam of, of sorts, Man. little, you know, your insurance company when when what what came down? From the president, what came down from the family's first coronavirus response act? What what did they say? Um, coronavirus testing is supposed to be free. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, we charge one hundred fifty. No, we- I just want people because that's what came. That's what came from the racist president and the racist administration and the the racist coronavirus task force and all these people. Mm-hmm. They're they're just you know, <laughs> coronavirus testing is supposed to be free, right? But Jamal Bryant can do better than that. Like, nah, nah, he nah. can do one hundred and fifty. You know what's big? Hey, y'all, you know what's better than free? Ha. <laughs> Man. 150. That's sad. People shall live and not die and pay $150 or at least hope that their insurance companies can do it. Man. It cannot be both. It cannot be both that they have, you know, all of this access to insurance and they don't have to worry about the price of this or they're hurting and impoverished. And the coronavirus is a concerted racist attack on black people. I hate that we're out of time.
<laughs> I really hate that. I despise that we're out of time. But we are out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.